What is up, everyone? It's Quinn here, and with the uh, fantasy football season wrapping up in most people's leagues, I thought I'd take this week to just put out kind of a fun video looking ahead to the 2024 fantasy football season. So in today's video, I'm going to be doing my way too early top 10 running backs for the 2024 season. If you guys enjoyed this video, you know, maybe I'll swing back next week, talk about the wide receivers, maybe some quarterbacks, some tight ends. I'm sure some people, you know, whether you won or lost your fantasy league, you still have a little bit of that fantasy fix. So I'm just going to be going through kind of like a rough draft of my top 10 at this point. Um, If you guys enjoy the video, do me a huge favor, hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. But let's dive right into it. And we're going to be splitting up these running backs into tiers. And I'm going to have one tier one running back. It's going to be Christian McCaffrey. And I do just think it's hard to view any other running back as the top option heading into 2024. I feel like the number one concern that you could probably point to would be just his age and his usage over the past two seasons. He's going to be 28 heading into next season. Um, He said the fourth most carries and second most targets since the 2022 season. Personally, I'm not super worried about it. Like if, you know, the biggest concern is that he's 28, which isn't necessarily like some huge fall off period. And the fact that he's been super durable and held a large workload over the past two seasons, I feel like you're probably in a good spot. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, CMC was viewed as someone who was injury prone. People thought he couldn't stay healthy. You know, you had all this stuff being thrown out there. He has clearly shut down that narrative with two very, very healthy seasons, especially when you factor in his usage. I mean, even for like a standard running back with that type of usage volume game after game, you'd expect him to miss two, three games in a season. CMC has been even healthier than that. CMC was also just so great this season that even if he has a decent fall off in terms of his like ability, I think his production would still keep him in that like RB1 territory as the top option, right? I mean, this dude averaged 24 and a half PPR points per game. He slips. Oh, well, he's averaging 21, 22 PPR points per game. The dude was dominant across the board. He, um, through 17 weeks, led the NFL in rushing yards, receiving yards, and touchdowns at the running back position. So he will be my RB1 heading into next year. Now, pivoting into tier two, going to have two running backs in this tier, and I'm going to start it off with Brees Hall. And I just think what Brees Hall was able to do this season with the complete dumpster fire he had on offense was wildly impressive, especially when you factor in that he was coming off of an ACL tear, you know, heading into this season. Week five was the turning point where he was no longer under any usage restrictions. So that's kind of like the cutoff I'm using because that was when we got, you know, quote unquote, fully healthy Brees Hall, where they could really unleash him. From week five until the end of the season, he averaged 19.3 PPR points per game. So 19 plus PPR points with bad quarterback play, arguably the worst offensive line in the NFL and coming off of a very serious knee injury. It seems like Aaron Rodgers is like a lock to return in 2024. Prior to this season, we didn't really know, but it seems like he's been very motivated to get back out there. Obviously, having Aaron Rodgers back at quarterback is going to be a huge boost. Even if he's not, you know, MVP caliber Aaron Rodgers, there's no way you're going to get worse than the quarterback play he got in uh, 2023. I'm not expecting like this Jets offense to do a, you know, complete 180 and become like a top tier unit, but you have to think they're going to address that position. Um, especially with Aaron Rodgers coming back, you need to protect that quarterback position. So I think they will at least make some adjustments on the offensive line. And I do think Brees Hall could challenge for that like elite top tier ceiling. I think I could end up talking myself into moving Brees Hall up into like that CMC tier just based on 
the ceiling I think he can have next year in a much better offense. So we'll wait and see what uh, moves the Jets make, but I think Brees Hall is going to be a fantastic option heading into 2024. I mean, he paid off in his value this season, and that was with pretty much everything going wrong around him. Truly one of the best running backs in the NFL. And now my other tier two running back is going to be Kyron Williams. And it's kind of wild that Kyron went from a dude who was pretty much undrafted in every single league this season. He was a dude that was picked up after week one after week two, to now being viewed as one of the top fantasy running backs heading into next season. He finished as the running back two in points per game. And when I'm going through the points per game, if you guys are watching this later, this is through 17 weeks, um, just when I'm recording it, averaged 21.2 PPR points per game. And to be completely honest with you guys, I really did not expect Kyron to maintain his uh, workhorse role throughout this entire season. Early on, he was getting the volume. He was producing fantasy-wise, but from like a real-life NFL perspective, he wasn't playing at a super high level. He had some drops early on. He wasn't overly efficient. His rushing yards over expected numbers were not great. Um, he was actually towards like the bottom of the league at the running back position. But by the end of the year, I mean, he completely flipped it around. He was top 10 in rushing yards over expected, um, just outside the top 10 in rushing yards over expected per attempt. That was while handling a significant workload, 19 carries and four targets a game. And then he was also top three in red zone touches despite missing five games. So even though Kyron Williams doesn't have like this huge workhorse frame, he didn't test super well at the combine. Actually, he tested pretty poorly at the combine. He went out there, played at a high level, handled a massive workload on a Rams offense that was solid. So assuming they don't go out and bring in any legit competition for Kyron Williams, I think they're going to go back to the well with him. Sean McVay clearly wanted a workhorse in this offense. And typically, I do think there's some risk in investing in like these later round running backs when they have a solid, you know, first or second season, because we've seen in previous years with a bunch of different guys that teams have been very willing to move on from these guys. A lot of the times it doesn't make sense, right? You get a guy with, you know, day three capital or even undrafted, they produce well and teams still go out, you know, either pay a dude in free agency, spend a day one or day two pick to try to replace them. It doesn't make a ton of sense, but we see it year after year. Um, recently, guys like James Robinson, Elijah Mitchell. I just think Kyron Williams is in a totally different, you know, bracket from those guys. Like they were solid in like their rookie seasons, giving you solid production, but Kyron Williams has far surpassed those dudes. Um, so I think he does belong here as a top three option heading into 2024. Now, pivoting into tier three, still very high on these guys. Um, and I think they could have room to move up, you know, the more I think about it. But I'm going to start off with Bijan Robinson. And I want to preface this by saying where I rank Bijan Robinson is going to be heavily dependent on their head coach heading into next season. Um, if they retain Arthur Smith, I will very likely move him down. I mean, I will guarantee you that I will move him down from this RB4 spot. If a change is made, I think I could even see myself bumping him up into tier two. Um, there's no doubt his rookie season, it was disappointing in fantasy, um, especially where he was drafted. I mean, he was my RB2. I know there was a lot of debate between him and Austin Eckler. It turned out that you just wanted to fade the RB spot at that point in drafts. But I think from like a talent and ability perspective, I still have a lot of confidence that Bijan Robinson can be a high-end fantasy RB1 with a head coach who actually has interest in utilizing his best players. I do think they're probably going to have to move on from Arthur Smith. 
I just think you look at the moves this team has made. They've spent top draft capital on three different very talented offensive players in Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and Bijan Robinson, and they're just not utilizing those guys and getting the production out of them that they should. And on all accounts, like these are very strong players. It's not like they're all busts and performing terribly. They're just not being utilized in the uh, most effective ways. So hopefully he gets a new coach. And if that is the case, I think Bijan Robinson will have a huge bounce back in um, year two. After Bijan, going to be going with another former rookie, Jameer Gibbs. Um, I was pretty high on Bijan heading into the season, like I mentioned. That definitely didn't work out. But fortunately, I was also very high on Jameer Gibbs, and he 100% outperformed his uh, preseason ADP. I still remember like week one, week two, people were burying Jameer Gibbs. I remember I had him ranked like still highly in my rest of season rankings. I was catching a lot of heat for it. People were saying I had to give up on him. This was David Montgomery's backfield. He finishes as the RB7 in PPR points per game at 16.6. It was definitely a slow start, like I mentioned, but after he uh, came back from a hamstring strain in week seven, he averaged 19.4 PPR points per game over his last 10 games. I think he may be like potentially lacking the crazy ceiling of the guys in tier one and tier two, just based on David Montgomery also being involved, but he's clearly a very talented player and he doesn't need one of these crazy high workloads to deliver you mid to high end RB1 production. We saw him be a mid tier RB1 in his rookie season, could have been more of a high end RB1 if he had the same usage throughout the entire year. So I think he could take a leap, especially as a pass catcher, just based on the volume he saw in that department. And I think Jameer Gibbs is going to be a great bet heading into year two. Now, my third and final player in tier three is going to be Jonathan Taylor. And I feel like this was kind of a strange season overall for JT. You start off the season with his contract issues, don't know when he's going to play. His ADP is all over the place. Um, He ends up playing in his first game in week five. He gets the contract extension figured out. Um, But when he returns, you have Zach Moss leading the backfield in both week five and week six. Week seven was the first time that JT was actually able to, you know, step into his usual usage. And then he ended up missing three games later on in the season with a thumb injury. But in the seven game sample size of Jonathan Taylor being the clear cut starter, he averaged 16.1 PPR points per game. So it was a fine season. I really wouldn't be surprised if we see JT kind of fly under the radar heading into next year, just due to the missed games and then kind of like the skewy point per game numbers. Um, with week five and week six, but he's going to be 25 years old next year, still in the prime of his career. I think this offense is very encouraging. With Anthony Richardson stepping in, I know people have some concerns about maybe him vulturing touchdowns. I just think this rushing attack is going to be so efficient that he'll be able to make up for it in um, other ways. So I'm still very high on Jonathan Taylor moving forward. And then shifting into my fourth and final tier, I want to start off this tier with Devon Achan. And I will admit, he is a very, very tough player to rank heading into uh, 2024. He just seems like an anomaly all across the board. It just seems like we haven't seen a player like Devon Achan before, especially like with just the path he took this rookie season. Um, He was the RB4 on the depth chart heading into the year. It's not like the Dolphins were looking at this dude and they're like, oh, he's going to come in. He's going to kill it in our offense. He was their RB4. You had injuries to Jeff Wilson. And then I think it was, was it Salvin Ahmed um, that was playing ahead of him? Two guys on the depth chart ahead of him get hurt, and he ends up stepping into the RB2 role. Week three was the first time he saw real snaps 
and in the first game he saw real snaps. He rushed for 203 yards, two touchdowns, then caught four passes for 30 yards and two more touchdowns. Then he had two more games after that where he dropped 27 and 21 and a half PPR points before he went on IR with a knee injury. He ends up coming back in week 11, re-aggravates that same knee injury, misses week 12, played only a few snaps in that week 11 game, misses week 12, then he comes back to pretty strong usage in week 13, 17 carries for 73 yards, two rushing touchdowns, three receptions for 40 yards. Then from week 14 to week 16, he kind of took a back seat to uh, Raheem Mostert and was pretty much like completely phased out of the goal line usage, which was pretty disappointing fantasy-wise. But then we saw Raheem Mostert miss week 17, Achan rushes for 107 yards, catches four passes for 30 yards and a touchdown. On the season, he finished tied with Raheem Mostert as the uh, RB4 in points per game. Honestly, crazy that two dudes from the same offense finish as like, you know, top four fantasy options at the running back position, or I guess top five if you're counting both of those dudes in there. I'm guessing that the main concern with A-Chan heading into the 2024 season from like the public as a whole is going to be his workload and his overall durability based on the size he plays at. Um, There's no doubt he is very light for the position. He weighed in at 188 pounds at the combine, which is very, very small. Um, I will just throw this out there, right? We kind of see like the running backs that coming at the high 190s, low 200s. People consider those guys to be undersized. A lot of those guys have had a lot of success in the NFL, giving you strong fantasy seasons, especially as of late. I mean, Jameer Gibbs came in sub 200. CMC was just above 200. Eckler, um, I think, was just below 200. So these dudes have come in and found success. But it's definitely different to be under 190, which is where A-Chan was. But I do just want to throw it out there that A-Chan ran track when he was in college. And I know there's been some discussion that that is one of the reasons why his weight was kind of so low, that he would lose weight during the track season and then have to put it back on. And so if that's a factor, I really wouldn't be surprised if like right now we're heading into next season, he's more like 195 to potentially 200 pounds. Like I'm not getting too caught up in that 188 number because he had like the weird circumstance of also running track, which would kind of affect his um, weight heading into the season. And then I just have a point I want to make on this like injury prone stuff. I feel like people are just way too quick to throw out the injury prone narrative, especially on some of these smaller running backs and, you know, blame it on size and durability. Um, every time a smaller running back gets hurt, it's automatically that they're injury prone, no matter what happens. It's they're injury prone. You uh, look to, you know, draft them the next season. I get comments. Oh, he's injury prone, way too small, all this stuff. In reality, the RB position is just an injury-prone position. They take a lot of hits. They have to handle a lot of volume. They're running up the middle with like these 300-pound dudes. You're going to get injured at the running back position. It happens. For me, I just think it's a risk-reward thing here with A-Chan. I don't think he's you know so injury-prone or not durable at all that he's just going to break down. Um, and I'm just willing to take a swing on the ceiling that he has shown us so far in his NFL career. I also feel like heading into next season, it's a very weird backfield to navigate, right? Because you had two dudes finish in the top five. What are they going to do next season? But I just think when we're looking at the trajectories of these guys' careers, even though this was a career year for Raheem Mostert, he's going to be heading into his age 32 season. A-Chan is heading into year two. You would assume those guys are going to be on opposite trajectories um, moving forward. So that's kind of like my spiel on Devon A-Chan. Very interesting player, though, heading into next year. After A-Chan, going to be going with Travis Etienne, and I think Etienne's usage this season was very encouraging. He had the sixth highest opportunity share at the running back position. He was the running back six in points per game, so in line with his workload. 
Um, and overall, it was an interesting season out of him. He was so dominant from weeks five through eight of the fantasy season. 22 plus PPR points per game in all four of those. It looked like he was going to be an absolute monster over the second half of the season. Then he hits the bye week and he was just very underwhelming from that bye week um, in week 10 through pretty much the rest of the season until the fantasy championship game where he put up 25.8 PPR points. The interesting thing with ETN here was that my debate with him heading into the season was that from a real life NFL perspective, I was really high on ETN as a player. He had great efficiency as a runner in his rookie season. He had a great profile in college in terms of catching passes. Unfortunately, the Jaguars just didn't seem to like to use him that way in his uh, rookie season. So he was great on the ground, but he wasn't used super heavily as a pass catcher. He also wasn't getting a ton of goal line looks. And when he was getting those goal line looks, he wasn't converting. Then they go out, they draft Tank Bigsby. And it seemed like Bigsby really just couldn't break his way into this offense. And they pretty much gave ETN that workhorse role. The, I guess, you know, sort of problem we saw here is that he saw a huge drop off in his rushing efficiency and not just like the baseline yards per carry, because that's can totally be deceiving based on offensive line and all of that. Um, he had the third highest rushing yards over expected per attempt at 1.07 in his rookie year. This year, he fell to negative 0.22. I think it'll be very interesting to see how the Jaguars approach the running back position this offseason. ETN really didn't have a ton of legit competition this year with Tank Bigsby not doing anything, but does the fact that they went out, spent a day to pick on Tank Bigsby, are they going to want to pay a backup in free agency? Are they going to want to spend a decent pick on a running back? We'll kind of just have to wait and see how that uh, situation shakes out. Next dude is going to be Saquon Barkley, um, finished as the running back 10 in points per game kind of just a tough draw for Saquon this season. I think it would have been rough for any running back to give you a super high ceiling in this Giants offense through 17 games. They're averaging under 15 points per game. If Saquon's sticking around next season, I think you'd have to expect some sort of improvements in this uh, Giants offense. But if he goes elsewhere, I think it just becomes you know a free-for-all, right? He could end in a great landing spot. He could land in a rough one. We'll kind of just have to wait and see. So a lot is up in the air with Saquon and I guess kind of like a placeholder ranking at this point. Now for the final running back in my uh, way too early top 10, I'm going to be going with Rashad White. And I think he had to be one of the biggest overachievers at the running back position, finished as the RB9 in points per game, um, had a very strong finish to the season outside of week 17, which was the championship. He put up 15 or more PPR points in nine of his final 11 games. So he was very, very um, efficient. I think the offseason here is going to be very interesting for Rashad White. He saw great usage this season, had the seventh highest opportunity share in the NFL. I think the concern is that heading into this season and throughout the year, the Bucks had zero running back competition. Like I said, ETN had very little running back competition. The Buccaneers had far less. Their RB2 was Chase Edmonds, who fell out of their rotation on two different teams in 2022 and seems pretty much washed. Like there was nothing going on there behind Rashad White. And then from an efficiency perspective on the ground, he kind of struggled. Um, he had the sixth worst rushing yards over expected per attempt. Now, I will admit like this Bucks run game has been bad for years, so I'm not fully blaming White, but it's not like he excelled in that area, which makes you think like he has this role on lockdown. On a more positive note, though, his receiving usage was impressive. He was third in receiving yards, fourth in receptions, sixth in yards per reception. We got a little bit of that in his rookie season, but probably not as much as we would have liked. It was good to see that the Bucks kind of, you know, recognized his ability as a pass catcher and they gave him a ton of opportunities in uh, this season. So heading into 2024, 
this is kind of how I'm expecting the situation to play out. I think Rashad White has, you know, earned the right to retain that running back one role, but I do think he may have some more competition. I'm almost positive he'll have more competition heading into next year, especially for the early down work. So I'm not sure if he's going to replicate his workload, but it's possible he does. And I think this is a fair spot for him at this point. After like, you know, RB10 and on, it kind of falls apart, goes all over the place. A lot we'll have to uh, figure out, but that's going to wrap it up for my top 10. Like I said, these are very, very early. I want to hear your guys' opinions. Who would you have higher, lower? Um, Did you have someone that didn't make the list that you think should be in the top 10? Let me know down below. Um, And also let me know if you're interested in hearing some wide receivers, quarterbacks, and tight ends. But thank you all for stopping by, and I will see you in the next one.